right, nice job. Good set. Let's do some social kick. Hello, everybody. We're pretty excited to share this episode with you. Our guest, Caroline Burkle, reached the highest levels in swimming. She was an NCAA champion in the 500 free at the University of Florida and an Olympic bronze medalist in the 800 free relay in Beijing. And while the heights of her swimming accomplishments at that level might seem nearly impossible to top, it's the career she's building through impacting the next generation that may have already surpassed what she did in the pool. For five years now, Caroline and her business partner, fellow Olympic swimmer Rebecca Sony, have been building a mentorship platform they call Rise Athletes, where their team of 30-plus mentors of accomplished professional athletes work one-on-one with young athletes on mindset development and mental health skills, which plays a key role, a much-needed role in the support system of young athletes, one that often a coach or parents can't necessarily fill. I mean, you can't always go to your coach or your mom and dad and talk about the breakup you're going through and how that's affecting how you feel at practice. Caroline also draws on her own experience working with many elite coaches, including the learning process she went through with her college coach to demonstrate the importance of coaching the individual, which in her experience led to her coach never giving her time splits ever again after her sophomore year replacing them with stroke tempo instead because that's what worked best for her. We talk about her experience with body image and advice for coaches on how to manage interactions with their athletes in the most helpful way. Caroline is charismatic and insightful. She's upfront and down to earth. A few minutes with Caroline and you know you're with a high achiever. We think you're going to enjoy this one. We sure did talking to her, so... Please, without further ado, enjoy our conversation with Caroline Burkle. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Kick Podcast. I'm Brian Lundquist. Look at the crew we've got today. Dr. John Mullen, Luke Paddington, and Caroline Burkle. What? (laughs) What's going on, Caroline? How are you? A long time no see. Uh, Indeed, (laughs) it has been. I know. Actually, I was was thinking about this going, the... Our paths crossed a couple times in a swimming career. Well, once in a swimming career, kind of, because we both swam in the SEC at the same time. Yeah. And then uh, and then it, when it came to grad school, we both kind of used a, a life pivot in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mine was after uh, after 2012 Olympic trials that I went to grad school uh, and was there for a year and a half at Tennessee uh, studying business. And it was sometime right at the end of my time there that you and I started corresponding about you coming to school there. Yeah. Yeah. I came in 20. Yeah. Like 2013. Yeah. 2013. Oh my gosh. I should know this. Well, I know. I mean, I know for a fact that I was in Louisville for Clark's Olympic trials. And then after that, I sort of transitioned into finding the grad school uh, flow. So I think it was like 2013, 2014. Uh yeah. Yeah, so that must have been right the crossover. And um, honestly, that was a really great experience. It was really hard. It was really tough being a GA and being in grad school at the same time. I was like, I don't know, man. I'm there till 11 p.m. My bedtime's at eight. But you learned a lot, and I had uh, a lot of fun there. Um, and I was in life skills, so uh, I was in the um, oh my gosh, what was the name of the building? The Thornton Center. Thornton Center. I almost said yeah. the. OS- but that's Florida. <laughs> yeah. Live. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I don't know. So th- those times are interesting because for me, that was, that was a pivot into, so what do I, what do I do next? You know, I just come out of this chapter of my, my whole identity for my whole life had been uh, swimming. And I, I went through this period from 2008, 2009, which was the peak of my career to declining. And until I finished uh, in 2012, didn't get the results I wanted, cried my eyes out after my last race, um, you know, and, and then, you know, it's like, okay, so, so what do I do next? And, and like, obviously that's a topic that we really want to get into with you is, you know, there's so much identity that gets wrapped up in yourself as an athlete or as this, this thing, whatever it is. And, and in some ways, you know, like I fell into that as well. And I think a lot of athletes, you know, it's it's not even what everyone else puts on you. It's sometimes you start to buy into it. And, and then, you know, then I was in this time of life where I was trying to find, well, what is 
how do I find identity as something else? I'm not ashamed of it. I'm very proud of what happened in swimming, but like I'm so much more than, than just that experience. And, you know, I, I know that you've gone through similar things as well. And I, I'm, I'm just like curious to hear some of your elements from life as a swimmer to, you know, building what you are today, which just candidly, you and I don't, don't interact much, um, you know, nowadays you've got this, um, great awareness that you're building um, and sharing uh, uh, transparently about you and your life through through social and through, you know, this, you know, you telling your story in the public eye. And and, and I so appreciate that because it's a model for someone who's gone from uh, an identity as, you know, the thing, the athlete, the, the typecast mm-hmm. to, uh, you know what, I'm so much more and here are all the other elements about me that makes me me that I get to share with you. And so first, I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for thanks for joining us to share this time, but um, but would love to hear some of you know your thoughts about your evolution into this, Caroline. Yeah, so you know, I think a lot of our resistance as athletes, obviously, is the identity and what we go through after sport, because we're attached to this thing, and I think a lot of the resistance comes from that attachment, and um, you know. In Zen Buddha terms, it's like you don't want to become too attached to anything because everything is is just something that's out there, right? You can't like attach yourself to one thing or else you're going to be disappointed eventually. Um, and I think that that is something that a lot of athletes, not just swimmers, but a lot of athletes go through this. We, you know, we read it in the news all the time. Most of the mental health issues with athletes come from this resistance to... Um, like you're so attached to something that it's really hard to find your groove with who you are inside. Like all these external validation things become your identity, become what you're attached to. And so like, you're just gripping onto that. Um, And so I just sort of spent all this time gripping onto everything. Like I was gripping onto my sport. I was gripping onto the, the, you know, the races I did when I retired, I was gripping onto fashion school. I was gripping onto people or things or, whatever it was, but in that, in that same moment, I'm running, I'm running from one thing to the next, just continually trying to find my way through it. And, um, you know, I, I remember being in grad school and I don't know if you remember Dr. Leslie Fisher. Yeah. Like, yeah. So (laughs) I get, by the time I got into grad school, you know, for just to like sum that up really fast without boring everybody, but I had lived in already like four different locations and since I had left Florida and I was just like what am I doing you know where am I going what am I doing am I going to settle here in Knoxville like what am I actually doing and so I went up to her and I said I want to take this kinesiology course alongside uh sport psych and in my mind at the time the reason I wanted to do that is because I had this idea about like what happens in our bodies with our emotions and and what's going on with our bodies during this time of of mental health, you know, crisis, I guess you could call it or also as athletes. Yeah. And she looked at me and while it was a great idea and while I was onto something that I I knew that would be a thing for me, she looked at me and she said, "Stop chasing things, stop chasing accolades, stop collecting accomplishments. Mm. And I was like, like, it like blew my mind because all of a sudden I realized that yes, while I was on this path after swimming, trying to do different things. And I went to fashion school and I'm running all these Ragnar races and doing all these things and keeping myself busy and working at Lululemon and going to grad school and working, opening Lululemon in Louisville and all these different things. I was just like, just go, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. I wasn't allowing myself to realize that that was a way for me to cope with what I had like detached from that was really painful. So um, anyway, this is a long winded way of saying that it's beautiful to have this path of all these different things that I did. But the the biggest lesson that I learned was that I can't really attach myself and grip so hard at one thing and keep trying to accomplish and achieve and achieve and achieve and achieve. Cause in the end it was just making me really miserable. I wasn't finding my inner happiness of who I am as a person. I was looking everywhere else for it. And um, yeah, I mean, I could talk about that for hours, but that was sort of the, the path that happened with 
with me when I was done. And it, it, a lot happened in that, in that time, like a lot happened to my body. A lot happened in my mind. I went through different bouts of depression and therapists and treatments and all that. So, you know, I think there was just a, there were a lot of signs that were pointing to slow down and look within because there's something missing here that is a crucial piece to your development uh, that you're seeking to look for everywhere else. Do you feel like the work that you and the team at Rise are doing is focusing on, and I'd love to get into more specifics on it, but the, 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 how to, how to get to a point um, where there's no intervention needed, Mm. you know, like, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful story to tell and it's a, and it's a, it's almost in some ways a cautionary tale for, you know, for, um, you know, for, for younger people who are going through things or maybe not even younger, it's where we all navigate different paths in life and can learn from things like that. But, um, you know, I'm wondering some of the things that you all are looking to teach and impart on, uh, people that you're mentoring that, that helps them not, uh, you know, have such a, you know, or such a, such a deep valley to have to come out of. Yeah. Well, I don't, here's something that's interesting. I don't think you can ever prevent somebody from having an experience. So no matter what's done, there's no preventative, uh, anything in sport and life and jobs and careers and relationships. You can't just be like, don't do that. Because if that happens, then, you know, we're just going to prevent you from even having that happen. Right. Think of it in a relationship. You can't prevent somebody from being hurt after a relationship is over. You know, like you can't, you can't prevent that. You can't be like, I'm going to do everything in my power to teach you how to not be hurt when that's over. Cause you're going to experience that regardless, but mm-hmm. you can have the tools in order to navigate that time better. And that's what we instill at rise. And that's what we created and, and rise for everyone listening is a mentorship platform that we created back in 2015, Rebecca, Sony, and I, um, between Olympic athletes and professional athletes and youth athletes. So you have the pros and then you have like the 13 to 18 year olds. And we call ourselves basically this mindset development program that was created to be a foundations for mental health for these youth athletes, like building blocks, like teaching them the tools, not only throughout their sport to navigate their 200 free on a Friday night at finals of whatever meet, but to be able to take those tools and use them in their daily life and beyond. Because you got to like systemically change things. You have to start from the ground. You can't just always be band-aiding things once times get later. So that was the whole purpose of what we created. Um, and then also to, to give that back to the Olympians and to the professional athletes too, to where they can give back what they've learned and, and gone through in their careers. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, I think it's um, you can't prevent anything, but you can create these building blocks and this foundation for mental health skills mindset development tools so that these athletes can actually have those things if and when they go through any sort of transition in their life that they're going to need those. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, I have two kids and they're about to go to some practice right now. And um, basically, I'm raising kids and I'm trying to raise them and keep them grounded and, 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 you know, have them learn from my experiences, but experience my, my learnings at the same time. And I think, you know, the blocks that you've been building with your, with your athletes you're working with, I think that's what we try to do as parents, which is the hardest thing I've ever struggled in my life. Better than any set, harder than any set, any exam is these blocks for my son and these blocks for my daughter. Um, talk to me about how did you get into that? How did you get to, and, 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 and how did you get these athletes you work with, you partner with to have that mindset, to be able to give good knowledge and good teachings. And they do make mistakes and that's good. You know, just talk to me about whole evolution of that parenting you're doing of, of athletes yeah. and mentoring. That's yeah. funny you say that because I always sit back and think this must be one, one millionth of what it's like to be a parent. <laughs> I can't imagine what, you know, all yep. There's yep. so much that, you know, you don't want to say too much. You want them to figure it out, but then you also want to do this. And it's like, it's like this push and pull. I can't, I can't imagine. I have a lot of friends with kids. And so yeah. I, I kind of learn from the outside before I have my own, but it's like kind of step back and watch. So props to you. Um, <laughs> but, but basically, you know, 
we are also a uh, business where we're like a third pillar. So it's like parent, coach, and then mentor. So it's like mm -hmm. alongside of that in the first place. It's not going against mm -hmm. any of that at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think what is interesting about you know, figuring out what to teach athletes and, and how to work with them is just getting to understand them as human beings first yep. and seeking to understand and get curious with them. So, you know, my best coach that I ever had was Mike DeVore from Lakeside. Mm -hmm. And he, I'm so grateful. The more I think about it as I get a little bit older every year, just how good he was with mm -hmm. asking questions and getting to understand mm -hmm what it was that I was experiencing and, and then being able to work with me constructively instead of telling me how to do it all. Of course he coached me up and told me how to do things, but after every race or if he'd pull me out in practice or whatever it was, he would make sure to have a deliberate conversation with me about what it was like, talk to me about that. What are you feeling right now? Like what, what, what was going through your head on that third, fifth year? Whatever. So then I'm like answering these things for him and being able to then have a dialogue with this person about yeah. what's going on versus like, yes, sir. You know, to, to where it's like that. And and of course, like, you know, I'm sure I had moments where it was that. And so I think those are learning moments as well. But, but a young age is right, right? That was when you were yeah. 18 years old. That was you at age 13 having that. Yeah, and that's yeah. extremely yeah. rare in that sport. How many coaches say, hi, 13-year-old girl, what do you think about your 100 free? And right. actually care and listen. It doesn't but happen. that's why Mike DeBoer has developed how many female Olympians from Lakeside. Like, I mean, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. one of the best club coaches to ever come out of the United States. And he doesn't get nearly enough credit because he doesn't ask for it. He, or, you know, he doesn't even... He doesn't need to. He doesn't he need to get the credit. To he's, speak he's, for himself. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, um, you know, he's also raised a culture of respect for teammates too, which I think growing up, it was like just an ultimate place of respect for each other. And I think that that also helps athletes develop because they get curious about each other instead of comparative, um, if that makes sense. But yeah, so, you know, I, I there's so many different topics to work on that we work on at Rise and that we work on with the kids. And, um, you know, we have like over 30 mentors now and every single from different sports, not just swimming, but every single one of them is just like, wow, they teach me almost just as much as I'm sure they're learning yeah. from me. You know, yeah. I'm learning from them is what they say. It's like, I'm learning. So, you know, parenting, I'm sure it's like, you know, you learn from your children and, and you learn in that way. And so I think it's a cool, like mutually beneficial relationship in that way too. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's the way my brain. <laughs> no, it, it does. And when you signed um, Cheryl Thompson from Trinidad, she's an athlete we've worked with. Yeah. And I told, I told Cheryl that you're, it's been mutual. You're going to learn so much and they're going to learn so much from you. And it's fantastic to have that. Yeah, she's amazing. And she wants yeah. to, she's already on it. Yeah. I, I worked with her at Tennessee. Yes. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Cool. We did we did a clinic and we did a clinic in Trinidad last year in the fall and she yeah. was she was a participant in that clinic. Yeah. So yeah. I am just dying to get to Trinidad, by the way. Whenever all these restrictions lift, I'm, I'm I'll hook you up. I'll hook you up. That's a flower. There you go. I'm, That's where I'm, from. Go. I'm going to Tahiti next May, so maybe I'll do a double trip. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing I'm curious about, obviously, like you said, giving kids the tools or young athletes these tools, having early intervention, because obviously as time progresses, the more you can still early on may help them whenever these challenges may come up and they may hit at different ages. So when you're maybe working with a team or talking to a parent, how do you help educate them on how to initiate this process and at what age this around what age might this help? I'm sure it's individual. Yeah, it's definitely individual. Um, you know, a lot of people that come to us wondering, should my son or daughter, you know, start working with Rise? Um, typically, the first thing we say is, would they want to work with us? Like, is this something that they are interested in with us and not your choice? And we just straight up say it. Like, we've gotten over the over the past couple of years, we've gotten a lot better at just being very direct with our asks and and um, so you know, on an intake basis, let's say you're a parent, you've got a 13 year old daughter, son, and you say, oh my gosh, I just found this online or I heard about this through this program. 
you contact us, we would say to you, is your son or daughter, would they be wanting to work individually on mindset development and confidence and empowerment and learning different visualization techniques and all these things for sport and life? And if the answer is yes, talk to them. They said yes. It's all systems go. Because to us, we want the athlete to take the autonomy you know, have the autonomy in order to create their own destiny with the parent being the one that is the support system, the one that we give updates to and check in with and let them know what's going on. Um, and so that's a really big, important piece to, to our puzzle is making sure that the athlete is ready for that. Uh, you know, we start at age 13, any younger and the athlete, honestly, unless they're super, super mature, which we have seen some 11, 12 year olds like ready to do that. It's just the, the topics we work on are a little dense. And so they need to be ready, you know, to have that 30 minute session every week and actually want to sit down and learn and, and absorb that material. Um, yeah, it can be, it can be tricky though, like just figuring out who wants to be a part of the program, but they, the athletes take an intake questionnaire and we get to know what their strengths are, what the areas of improvement are. Um, and then we start, start them on a track with whatever mentor we pair them with. Um, but yeah, it's it's a cool it's a cool journey to see people want to actually learn these things and get better at them and and say, okay, I'm ready to take myself to the next level, regardless of what the outcome could be. It's so interesting. We were just having a conversation, uh, you know, with a elite coach about um, what it takes to really be great in an athlete coach relationship, and what he was saying was, well you know, we, we make a program together and it, it equal parts come together to align around a plan. So it's not all what I say goes as the coach and it's not all what the athlete says. Uh, we, we, we find common ground and that's really where the magic is, but it takes a level of maturity as an athlete to be able to vouch for yourself and to have awareness about yourself, to know what I need and to be able to convey that to your coach with confidence and you know, in uh, the maturity to, you know, have a result in a constructive conversation to build that, you know, yeah. and what, what I, you know, I said, well, how do you, how do you find that? How do you identify that if you're building a team, right? And you're recruiting for people to swim as part of your team. So, well, you know, it, it's, it's clear that um, the athletes who come from a great coaching environment are, are, are likely to have that sort of interaction, you know, with yeah. me as a coach, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I'm kind of wondering as we talk about kind of interacting with parents first, does the athlete want to work with you? Are they the ones who are raising their hands saying, I need this, I'm interested in this, and I this is what I want, need help with? I'm curious if there's some things like elements in parenting that you pick up in that process where you're like, okay, you know, the, the good parents are doing this, and the parents that, you know, maybe need uh, work or could do a little better at X, This is these are the types of things that we hear in, you know, in these initial conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have a lot of, we have been really blessed with amazing parents at Rise. Uh, we're pretty picky with who we let in and, and on both sides, but we've actually been really, really, really blessed with that. We've had a couple like really tough situations that are out of our scope of work or, you know, we have a whole ethics program too, where mentors have to pass that by the way, because it's, there's things that are outside of scope of work that are not our responsibility. But, um, you know, most of the parents that come in say, my daughter, son wants to do this. I'm really interested in this. This is a high class service. I think it's like the, the edge that they would need that individual attention on a team of mm -hmm. seven kids or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm out of the picture. Let me know what you need for me. And I'm here, you know, and we're, we're just going to let them do that job with you. Like we trust you as the professional here. And that's been so cool to see. Like there's a lot of really, really cool parents and coaches too, that contact us saying, Oh, Johnny told me that he worked on uh, imagery work with you yesterday. And that's really awesome. Like, let me know if you need anything from me there or what that looks like. And, mm -hmm. and that's a cool synergy to have because the athlete is sharing these things with the coach and with the parents. And once we get to that point where the athlete does share those things with the coach or with the parent, that's the beauty right there. Like that's mm -hmm. what we're going for is mm -hmm. for the athlete to open up and say, 
Hey mom. Hey dad. Today I worked on overcoming self-talk because I want to tell you lately, I've had really negative thoughts in my mind about my racing and I'm just not feeling very confident with it at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of stubborn teenagers may say it's fine. It was a good session, you know, <laughs> but I think as they get going, there's a really cool thing happening where they open up to the coach and to the parent. And then it becomes this thing where everyone's supporting each other. And um, I just gave a talk to a team on Saturday and the coach asked, you know, what can I do better as a coach in practice to support all the things you just said on this call? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's cool. Cause we talked about breath work. We talked about the three R's of like reframing things during a practice and right before meets. And we came up on the call with this thing where the athlete holds up the number three in practice, which means they're working on that thing to where they can reframe their negative thought. And so then the coach knows that's what that athlete's doing if they're having a really bad practice and they're struggling. So then everyone's on the same page. And that's what we tell coaches or parents if they do inquire, like, well, we just want to make sure you're not doing anything outside of what we're doing as coaches, or we don't want you to you know, change that. And we're like, no, no, no. Like the first thing we do is ask the athlete what's, what's helpful on your team and like what's going on and what's, what's good that we can actually incorporate into our coaching with the athlete. Yeah. We're just another leg of this. We're not going, you know, this is like another support system. Right. So um, that's the cool thing. It's that there's this open communication and dialogue between everybody. And that's the goal is that everyone, the athlete knows they have a total support system from a young age. Mm-hmm. And there's not like no one to go to kind of thing if they need yeah. Talk or help or whatever. Mm -hmm. I've been interested in in something about you, Carolyn. I don't know you, but from your Instagram, but um, you seem to be. uh, So that's that's not knowing you, because but you're an artist and you're you're a beautiful artist, and and any good artist has to have um, empathy, empathy of design, and at the same time, truly authentic. You you know, your best work comes out when you really are doing your best work in yourself. So when you in your work with these athletes. And you talk a lot about conflict on, on Rich Rule's podcast. I heard some about it. And the conflict you have, say, with the Olympics, right? Um, how, how do you hear a, a, a 15-year-old, they see themselves as being a swimmer, not as a human. All they care about is making Tokyo. That's, that's their, what they know. All the splits, they're like, they're like going down a path that you have so much conflict with. And, 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 and how do you decide, you know, it's okay for them to believe in Santa Claus for a little while. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because the Olympics is that Santa Claus thing until you go, right? Until you get onto it and you're like, oh, that's Santa. Oh. So, I mean, how do you deal with that being authentic yeah. and true, being professional and helping them and realizing they are, you're being empathetic to them yeah. and yet and, and yet putting them in a good place for them, not for Carolyn, not for you know, Rebecca, what have you. I mean, yeah. how you go about doing that. Yeah. So would a better or not a better, would another way of say asking this be like, you know how when people say, can you focus on more than one thing at once? Or can you really be great if you have this mindset that you're a holistic athlete and you you're more than just winning that medal in Tokyo? Yeah. A lot of people ask that question. Like, can you, can you do this kind of work and then also be all into your sport and want to win and do all these things, you know? And my answer is I think extreme personalities in sport are normal. <laughs> like I think you're supposed to have you're crazy. Yeah. You you have to. You have to be so hyper focused on that. And I think one thing I'm learning with this is is I did I did have an athlete at one point maybe a year ago. Most of our athletes last over a year, year and a half. I've had one for 5 years, two for <laughs> 5 years. But I had an athlete over, you know, the span of of a year asked me the same question. I feel like I, I have all these other things that I want to be good at, but I know that if I focus on really 100% on swimming and I don't do anything else, I don't go to dances. I don't do anything else. I don't play any other sports. Like she was running cross country. You know, if I don't do anything like that, then I'll be way better. And I said, sure you could, or if your friend is doing that, she could, but everyone's different. Right. And every single human being is different. If you want to play the guitar and put 100% to swimming and you feel confident in trying to do both, then you can do that. But I think that in terms of what you're saying is like if you're highly focused on, you know, getting to Tokyo, and you're going to win these medals and you're going to do this thing. And like, that's all I can think about. My answer is more power to you. Hmm. And here's what happens when when someone says, OK, well, then what happens when I get 
a plat when I'm on a plateau or I'm not swimming well or whatever. And I'm on this path to winning these medals in Tokyo. And that's all I can think about. My answer is that's also absolutely what you need to understand is that you being in that place is perfectly okay. You sharing, let's say I'm a mentor working with you, you coming to me and saying, I'm feeling depressed. I'm all of a sudden I was doing really well. And all of a sudden I'm not swimming well. I'm on a plateau. And I mean, I only had one bad meet, but now I feel like I'm not good at all. And now all my practices are bad. The answer is you're, what you're experiencing now is not going to change you getting to Tokyo. You're not distracting yourself by, by learning and understanding yourself in this present moment. You're not, you're, Mm that's not a distraction. This is just information and tools to get you to that next spot. I think a lot of people think that those things are like distractions and that they have to then become this other person in order to handle them. And then they're not focused on Tokyo anymore. It's like, it's It's just a portal. We all hit them. It's pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. It's yeah. all information in order to get to that spot. And I think that there's a lot of um, shame in like those plateaus and those feelings of like, well, wait, now I'm not on that path anymore. I have to slow down and, and you know, focus on this. And now I got I to gotta distract myself with this. And it's like, no, that's just information. So, you know, there's so many different ways to say that. But um at the end of the day, everything that you go through and everything you learn as an athlete is just information. You never have to change your goal. You just have to learn how to work with what it is that is going on in the present moment. It's not changing anything about you. It's just information in order for you to learn and take it with you into that next goal that you have. Shouldn't pivot you off your path, but rather be like, oh, that's the holistic part people talk about is you're just learning. Mm-hmm. Definitely, just taking it and learning from it. Definitely, and that's where it can always be tricky because we're getting into like long-term athletic development, life after sport, and all these huge things. Where you know, trying to figure out how to determine success or improvement as a whole sport or all athletes, it's challenging because everyone is individual. But you know, at Rise, how are you guys trying to monitor success with these athletes and having? proper long-term athletic development and successful life after sport. I, I think the key is just not saying that that's what you're doing all the time. Yeah. It's just putting it into motion. I think people mm-hmm. want so badly to define everything. Like what is it that you're doing now? Is this going to mm-hmm. help this or that it's like the actual putting it into motion and putting the things yeah, into motion are actually what the, the athletes going to experience as they continue to grow. So, if you're teaching them skills one day about um, communication with their mom or, you know, with their dad or something that they're having trouble communicating and they're not communicating and they bring up, like, I just don't feel like I'm communicating to anyone and I don't know how to share my feelings with the people or something. Teaching them those skills in that moment isn't me stopping and being like, okay, so right now I'm going to teach you these skills and where this is going to lead you isn't really you know, it's not really relevant. Like you, you know, you wouldn't ever focus on that. That would be something that is then instilled in them to then communicate with coach better or communicate with themselves better, which are all keys to them being a better athlete. It's just doing these things so that it becomes part of their nervous system and it becomes part of how they operate. And it's not just, here's how you do it. This is what this is doing. It's, you're just letting them experience that so then they can take that and, and use that with on autopilot once they get used to it. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. So yeah. as somebody who does this now as a, as a primary thing, uh, you, there's a lot of things that you're doing to, to balance and fulfill, I think, a lot of boxes for you, it seems like. But I'm wondering, how do you apply some of the things that are being taught to your own life and your own career? Who are your mentors? How do you apply mentorship and, and learning and space to your own life? Yeah, I'm a big fan of every coach needs a coach. <laughs> every, yeah. you know, no matter who you are. Um, my coach is awesome. Her name is Sarah Baldwin, and she actually helps me understand the tie between my creativity and m- like that side of my mind and then also my performing mind. So like my abstract, creative thinking, feeling, you know, basically blending both brains together. <laughs> Cause I have a pretty 
strong art artistic side of my brain. It's like very abstract and strong. And then the logistic side of my brain is there, but it's like only there when it's activated in the right way. So it has to be activated actually through the creativity. So if Rebecca's explaining something to me on, on Excel, she has to like show me charts first. And then I'm like, boom, let's do the Excel thing, you know, because there's like a way that you can do that. So it's really getting to learn the human again, back to like what helps that person and understanding that. But um, I firmly believe that art and science are just an infinity sign, like everything is interconnected. And so I think uh, a lot of athletes that uh, have, the side of the brain that may not be the most understood and the abstract side and the coaches that, you know, the athletes that are, are told they're not focusing enough and things like that. Those are, those athletes actually just have a huge gift that they have to tap into um, mm -hmm. and know that that's actually helping them become a better athlete if they can apply it to the other side of the brain as well. So um, I work, I try and just work with both of them equally so that I can have that balance. Like if I find one too far than the other, it's like it, I'm not in alignment at all. Like I don't find myself in alignment at all. So I have to be some, doing something like very methodical for a portion of my day and then something very creative and fluid for a portion of my day. And that's like, that's how I am the best. That's how I'm the best feeling in my body, the best when I'm working out, the best when I'm at work um, the best to my friends, you know? So it's like, yeah. So I don't know if that explains that as much, but I do have a coach that I work with and she works with me a lot on that. And it's a lot of it's based in the nervous system. So we do a lot of nervous system regulation work and, um, stuff that I wish I knew when I was swimming, to be honest. Yeah. I know for anybody listening, uh, make sure you check out your conversation with Rich Roll. Cause I know you went deep into that. Um, that's fascinating. What, what about on the business side? So you're a business owner, you, you and, um, and Rebecca been working on this for a few years now. So like, that's a totally different thing that I would imagine you hadn't started a business before, or maybe you have, but what, like, do you have influences on that side too, where you're getting coaching? Oh and yeah. Like actual mentors. Um, yes, we have over the years, we've had a lot of people that we work with. We have a great, uh, CFO, Mark Ujikian, who's really wonderful with just strategy and money mm -hmm. stuff and business stuff. He's awesome. Honestly, Reb and I have just been trial and error conversations with people that have done it before us. Um, we are very curious. So we'll always ask a ton of questions to people who have created businesses. Uh, I think we're applying in our lives what we work on with the athletes. It's just how many questions can we ask until people just turn us away because they're sick of answering our questions. But we're not afraid to do it. And we've pivoted a million times. So we've changed a million things about Rise. Like, to the first two years were totally different than they are now, like completely different. Um, now it's a fully functioning website and everything's on one, you know, portal with all the mentors and their calls and every everyone has their own page and chat with the athletes and all of it. And that took two years to create. And mm -hmm. I am like so proud of Rebecca for that side of it too, because it's a lot. But I think the, um, I, we're just, eager to learn. There's no like one person that's been, you know, tell all for us. We're just picking up pieces from different businesses and different people that have done their job well, because I think that everybody has a different perspective to share. And we're curious about that. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about your artistic side again quickly, because when I stopped caring about what times I did in my splits, I started to really enjoy the sports. And of course it happened when I retired and I was in masters and like, I touched the wall. I, I don't care if I went on one or three, who cares? I, but I, I still worked hard. I still cared if I raced you and I still yeah. love being in the water. Um, and I, you talk about that in your podcast, right? You talk about the fact that, you know, you don't even know those times you just got up there and you swam, you love the sport. Do you think that helped you through a lot of hard times in your career? And what if swimming wasn't so time centric? It was just like, guys, get up, no clock. Let's just go back to like cabana club racing I mean, <laughs> did that kind of attitude help you i mean you know like i don't give a shit this is race yeah in the podcast yeah. we talked in riches we talked a lot about um you know my resistance that i had with coach troy for a while after freshman year because freshman year kind of green everything's new they're just like get in and swim you do these fast times and everyone's like whoa and then the moment expectation sets in all of a sudden there's this like 
Burkle needs to be going this split. She needs to be doing that based on what she was and this and this and this and this. And I was just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like I, I can't even, you know, cause my freshman year was just such an autopilot. And also there was no standard for me. Like I didn't have anything to meet that was already done other than high school and who cares? It's like high school. Like no one really cares. You know, it wasn't like you're going to be the best ever after that. So, um, so anyway, I, I went through this experience with coach Troy where it was just a lot of resistance. And he was trying to basically like put a square peg into a round hole of, of this, like these times and this, that, the, that side of the brain was just overkill for me. It was like time splits, logistics, like, you know, rankings, stats, all this. I'm just like was swimming horribly. Um, and then all of a sudden I had this huge epiphany, uh, and it was after a big conversation with him. It was really a tough conversation with him. And then I had also called Mike DeBoer again. And, um, you know, we went through this conversation two or three different times before finally Coach Troy understood she doesn't, that's not her brain. She doesn't work well that way. And to his credit, like, look, he's got 70 athletes on Florida's team, you know, like, I'm not a coach with 70 athletes. I can't imagine having all these people to figure out and, you know, try and understand. But once he could understand that and take, you know, communicate with these other people again, that have done this work with me before him, Mike and will be, and, you know, she does well with just, just racing, yeah. just literally knowing what lane she's in <laughs> um, tempo. work, yeah. yeah. Like tempo work. Yeah. Um, if she's laughing and enjoying herself behind the blocks, that's good news. Like yeah. don't, you know, that that's, that's actually what we need. If she's nervous and by herself and stressed out, that's not what we yeah. need. Yeah. So I think he started to understand that. So we would actually do practices and pace practices where the girl next to me that I would always train with at Florida, I train with a lot of men backstrokers because the 200 freeze, like a men, men's backstroke mm -hmm. time equivalent kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But when I was training for the 500 and the 400, um, the girl that I would train with was the whole opposite of me, like needed splits to a T and like rankings and like what that did for her from last week's practice and this whole thing. And coach Troy would end up just giving me my tempo. He never told me a split after sophomore year ever. I didn't hear one Whoa. split on any pace set my entire junior, senior, and however long I swam after until I went to fast in Fullerton. Not no. talking Olympic trials, warm up before I made the Olympics would just look at me and be like one eight and one eight was my tempo. So like <laughs> I never knew my times because if I started to get that in my head, I would be totally like a hot mess. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and for anybody of you all that know my brother, he's the polar opposite of me. Like he knows every split to the 100th of a second of every race I've ever swam. And so, it, you know, it was like a really cool thing to be able to like bounce that off of each other, but also like respect each other's boundaries with what, what we don't want to talk about and what we do want to talk about. But um, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't have a single split. I started going off of feel tempo. He would say things like Haley Pearsall's on your ass. Like, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, nice. so we, would, we would talk shit at Auburn, too, and be like, yeah. Burkle's going to come beat your ass. <laughs> well, my junior year when, you know, because Haley was a senior and I was a junior and I remember doing pace work before SECs and that was the only thing he said. We were I was in like the one of the lanes at Florida, like right by the wall. We're tapering. Um, I was a uh, like only a taper swimmer, by the way, like. <laughs> Zero of me. Like I would go five ten in the five hundred and ten season and thirty three. Like I'm talking dead last in every meet. But, but so I would, you know, we would be doing pace and stuff, and and he would just click off like one three, one four, one five. Okay, on this last one, Haley Pearsall is on your ass. You need to get going. Okay, ready to go. And I just like kill it, you know. But and of course he would just look at me. He'd put his watch down and just go. And I'd be like, all right, I guess that's good. I'll just get out of the pool. <laughs> but I just went off of, of that feel and off of that tempo. And that's, um, and then after that, he, you know, he reached out to me a couple of years later and was just like, I'm grateful that you did that. Cause I have a slew of female athletes that are the same way. And a couple of males that I've just switched over to tempo. Cause they, that's what works for them. And I'm like, great. <laughs> I'm glad I could be of some help. <laughs>
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think we've been talking about it more and more, just having the art and the science. And, you know, I do swimming research and obviously I love all the science and I was definitely one of those splits <laughs> and times type of individuals, but there's so much more to it. And like you, there's a lot of athletes like that that don't respond well to those things. And you mentioned, you know, talking with some of the coaches and them asking you what they can do. And you said, you know, asking them questions, getting their feedback. What are some other strategies, maybe the coaches? Because I think most coaches are, you know, splits, type A. You know, that's what the stereotypical coach is. So how can they further develop themselves to work with athletes like yourself? I think, again, it's asking the athlete questions. Mm -hmm. um, I'll never forget when when Coach Troy just said to me and, and will be a nesty too, like, what do you feel? Do you like to, to talk about how you feel? And I'd be like, yeah. So that question is key because I think a lot of people, you can read that language in them. Like if, if the moment you say this should feel whatever, and they're just like, no, but that like wasn't my split, then that's a cue. Like, so it's just picking mm -hmm. up on those cues to where you can really tell. And, and honestly, it's kind of tapping into your intuition, into that mm -hmm. part of you as a human being that takes work on in my opinion, it takes work on the coach's part or on the mentor's part or on the parent's part or whatever to, to look inside and say, what is my intuition telling me about this person that I can feel like, are, are they into feeling or times, which one, you know, and then, and then can I ask them that question? So it's doing your own internal work too, so that you don't have this lens of like, well, I like splits, so I'm going to make them like splits. Yeah. You have to like really ask like what is it that I'm feeling and picking up from from this athlete and what energy are they giving me versus like I'm projecting what I want them to do onto that athlete, which is easy to do. But, you know, we have to do our work as individuals in order to work with somebody else or else you're projecting your own expectation of what you want onto them. I, I want to go a little a segue here, but it's a little bit deeper. Um, so it's about the love of swimming and the love of yourself. And the reason I still swim now, part of the reason is I like to be in shape, but I care about what I look like. Um, and I, and, and I, I, I want, I mean, I didn't care what I looked like when I was a, 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 a swimmer. Um, and that's a whole different, I want to get to that whole topic because I was a male. Um, but I care about what I look like now. And that's why I swim. I want to make sure I don't put on weight. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not super happy with my body at age 47, right? And that's why I swim. Um, but so I want to get into body image in, in our sport and, and, and how we've been around. A, we've been around some of the most best bodies in our sport forever. Um, and then also, uh, and how it has affected the women in our sport and the women you deal with. I just heard, I had my swim team party last night with my cottage swimmers. And we all have stories of women with body image issues on deck. Um, and and I, I just heard one last night, which blew my mind. And Meg, you have one, so I brought you on. I just want to talk about this. It's really important because we don't talk about this in our sport far enough. There was a weigh-in at one of the schools in, in SEC on deck. And if you missed the weigh-in, you wore a shirt called the Cow Squad. Um, that blew my mind. I, I know of girls having weigh-in in the high school and having to throw up in the bathroom to make deck, make the stuff. But I want to talk about, Karen, I know you're passionate and your art is so celebrates the body. It's so beautiful of that. Let's talk about how we should celebrate and be proud and talk about that stuff. It's really important. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, your story resonates with me deeply. Um, I have had many experiences with that kind of treatment around body types, especially um, during my career. And <clears throat> I don't condone it <laughs> at all, uh, just straight up. I think that there are so many different body types that can perform. Um, and you see it across the board. Um, you know, I'm learning these, this terminology from one of my friends that went to um, Opal and she went, she went there for, uh, she's a, elite professional runner and she went there for eating disorder recovery she's very open about it has come out about it but some of the things she's teaching me are that you call people you know you don't call people by their body size you just say they live in a larger body or they live in a smaller mm -hmm. body and so it's like your earth suit right so you see women in swimming that live in larger bodies that are crushing world records and then yeah. you see women in swimming that live in very small bodies that are crushing world records mm -hmm. in the same event so there is no, in my opinion, there is no one size fits all. And I think when we have this uh, image in our mind of what somebody should look like, that's based on media or that's based on an experience, seeing somebody in that body do well, 
And so now everyone needs to look like that body. And so, you know, this is such a, a dense topic that could go in so many different directions. Um, but I have a couple core beliefs, uh, again, that you can live in different sized bodies and still perform. That does not mean you treat your body like crap. <laughs> that means right. like no matter what body type you live in, you treat your body with respect and train it and feed it and fuel it the way that you would want to, you know, live till you're 200. Like that is what it is. If you are doing that and you are, you know, happy and healthy in that, then that's important. If you're not performing well, and um, here's an example. If you're not performing well, and you live in the exact same size body as you were when you were performing well, it doesn't mean that your body is now not good enough. It means something internally is off, either emotionally, through blood work, through nutrition, through trauma through, you know, whatever, exactly, whatever that may be. So I think there's a lot of variables and factors other than just like go on a run. You ate too much yesterday. That's not, that's not the reality of the matter. Our bodies store energy in certain ways and can show up differently through our performances. Um, and, and then also, to, you know, in the sport of swimming, we're in swimsuits, <laughs> we're running around basically naked as women. Yeah. Broad shoulders, um, you know, as a little girl, I was called football shoulders and I was I said all these kinds of names and people come up to me to this day, like, oh, I would have killed to have your body or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, and I appreciate that, but that doesn't take away my feeling of what, of what people thought I should look like. Um, right. So right. there's two different sides of the coin. There's, you need to be a certain way and look a certain way. And then also, you know, be stronger to that point, you need to look a certain way, be a certain way, be stronger, be fit. You need to do this to perform. And then don't get too strong. Don't look like a man. Don't do this. You mm -hmm. can't be manly. You've got to look feminine. And you're just like, what? you know, <laughs> Megan, I'm sure you can speak to one. Do you want me to be? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Um, so I firmly believe that being said, that the other part of it is that you don't comment on someone's body because whatever they're doing in order, you know, whatever suit they live in is unique to them. And if they're doing everything right and the way that they need to be doing it, like there's no judgment mm -hmm. on that human being. Um, there's mm -hmm. only progress or understanding or better getting in tune with that person's body. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. I could go, go on forever. About this. I know, sorry. We have eight minutes. <laughs> well, I'm curious. To, so, I mean, just to call it out, that's not an easy road to navigate as a coach conversationally. And I, and I think that, yeah. you know, um, I, I would struggle coaches today are in, in a, in a difficult position and it, and it's, and it should be the way that it is. Um, but, but I know, and we all know coaches and John, you work with athletes directly, um, where it's the the dynamic has changed such that there's a lot of sensitivity and the even social norms things that things that are innocent uh, are, are no longer permitted and that and 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 that makes a lot of sense right um, you know and so I mean just recently like things like you know you can't deck change on you know on on a pool deck anymore and that's like okay well there are a lot of people that could do that tactfully and fine but the reality is like there can be a negative side to that and so we need to understand and respect that and, and make changes accordingly. Um, I'm wondering though, as uh, if, if you have, if you're a coach who has an athlete uh, who may actually not be performing to their level. And part of the reason they're not performing to their level is because they're not treating their body with ultimate respect. And that might represent as either a smaller body or a larger body or what have you. Is there is there an effective way that coaches can have that conversation with athletes? Um, yeah. What do you think? Great question. Um, and they're not treating their body with respect. You're saying. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I think again, it goes back to question asking in a, yeah. in a way that feels safe and, and comfortable for that athlete. I think it involves an intimate, more of an intimate conversation. And by intimate, I don't mean the intimate that we all assume. I mean, mm -hmm. something deliberate, 
something deliberate, a conversation to where it is, um, you know, hey, I've noticed that you're seemingly upset after races and, you know, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you feeling? Like what, can you talk to me a little bit about what you're experiencing and what you're going through or what you're feeling that, that I may not know about? Cause I want to mm-hmm. support you and I want to best support you. Of course, you're going to get the athlete that doesn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And when the student's ready, the teacher appears, of course, there's only so much you can do is the thing there's as a coach, there's only so much you can do. You can lead the horse to water, but you know, it's like, you've got to be able to, to be there and, and do that. Um, and I think the power of question asking is huge. The other thing that I would say, and I know that in our culture now, there are so many different, um, there's so many different categories of, of what people classify themselves as, you know, sexually and gender wise. And so I think it does involve having somebody that is able to speak to every population on staff. And I know mm-hmm. that's really hard in a club mm-hmm. team setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a collegiate setting, I think that's the most powerful thing that we could step into culturally is someone that can speak to multiple different expressions or else we're going to get this mm-hmm. binary look on everything. And then that's not really helping those that are trying to figure out what's going on within themselves. 16% of head coaches in NCAA are women of the 16% of the women only one's black. Yeah. And that's exactly Luke. Like that's, that's sort of, you know, at Florida, if I didn't have Holly, I don't know what I would have done just personally as a woman, like to talk about the fact I wasn't getting periods or to talk about, you know, it's like all these different things that like I couldn't have talked about with a guy. I mean, I love Anthony Nessie, but I'm not going to sit down in his chair and talk to him about my cycle, you know? So it's like, I think that, everybody has this different comfort level and the more leadership that we can have that embodies and exemplifies what it is that can lead these athletes to their safest and most powerful expression is, is the best way to go. And if that's not the case, in my opinion, if I were a head coach at a university, I would have every coach educated on this stuff, like going through programs with whatever that may be. I know there's like safe sport programs for stuff like this. And it's just like, everybody should be educated ethically on how to help and assist athletes in that way, because there are professionals out there for that reason, like seek the people that know how to handle this and, and get their advice because they're the ones educated use those people is, is my best advice. Cause there's so many resources that I personally have no um, sympathy for people that say like, well, I don't even know what to do. It's like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> like you guys are given a list of a hundred things, you know, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just saying mm. if someone says after they've been handed like opportunities to learn about this, like I just don't have time or like, I don't, it's just too much or what it's like, well, I also think it's the most important thing that somebody can do in order to understand their athletes better. And if you're not a leader in that way, then it's like, what are you, what are you trying to, yeah, do in general? Yeah. I think on top of that, or just a piggyback there, I think having a diverse, like I said, support system and staff really, really is key because like you said, everyone's an individual and they need to be able to connect with someone. And it might be the strength coach. It might be the sports psychologist. It might be the physio, whoever. And I think as long as all the coaches, and we talked about this with some other elite coaches, everyone's on the same page, keeping in mind the goals and aware of where these athletes might have some weaknesses and areas to improve. Then hopefully they can connect and provide the valuable information to help them out as an athlete, but more importantly, as a human here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a perfect way of saying it. There's so many different ways that we can learn these things and these skills. And that's, it's a, it's a, a blessing that it's coming to light because now people, instead of trying to figure mm-hmm. out what to do, we're starting to learn through other people, you know, like there's no quick answer. Maybe the answer in that moment is I don't know what to do. And I'm a this coach. Great. I don't know what to do. And I proximity, man, we need proximity. Yeah. yeah. Like I need yeah. help and I need yeah. to talk to somebody to, to ask what I can do in this situation. And that's why those support systems are so key with every NGB that, you know, having those people to ask, 
I have this situation on my team. I'm trying to better understand how to work with this person with, you know, regardless of what it is, gender, body issue, body image issues, um, you know, like you said, treating their body with disrespect on how all these kinds of forums and these people that are there to help having more of that is actually going to be a blessing moving forward because then people can start to learn this and educate and, and systemically it can change across the board. Carol, this is why we need you to be super busy. We want you to be busy. Rise blows up, goes across the world. <laughs> and we're like, what? Thank you. Yes, <laughs> well, we, know that's yeah, we want that too. <laughs> we know that's happening. Well, uh, Caroline, thanks so much for sharing some thoughts with us and for hanging out. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you guys. Hopefully, I didn't talk your ear off too much. <laughs> oh, no, we keep playing. It was great. <laughs> thank All you. right, we'll just end it right there. Cool. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it. And make sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube at The Social Kick Podcast. And you can find all of our content on our website, 